greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Welcome back to Winds of Change. I'm your host and uh, Bible teacher, Keith McKenzie. Pretty excited about uh, our uh, study here by uh, Pastor Conway Campbell. And we just, uh, this will be an extensive study, but uh, this is Bibliology. And this is the uh, doctrine and study and the origins of our Bible. Um, this is an excellent study. This is uh, college level. This is... Um, going to be a great study for those who are truly interested in the origins and a good, deep understanding, which only strengthens our faith. So we hope that uh, you will be strengthened, encouraged, and blessed by this study. And so we're just going to go ahead and let uh, Conway uh, get us started here with uh, the study on the uh, origins of our Bible. So let's uh, look at a couple of outlines of what we're going to have here. Um, we will see the inspiration of Scripture here. We will see uh, how it was compiled and collected, um, being interpreted in a historical, grammatical uh, sense. And uh, that is quite important for our studies that we uh, have a proper hermeneutic. So let's go ahead. Go ahead and take us in, Pastor. A new study that will probably um, take about um, 40 weeks to complete. Um, you wonder why it's just a doctrine of the Bible. Why would it need to take so long? But there's a lot um, under that umbrella in order to do a comprehensive study of bibliology. It's called bibliology. Before we jump in, let me share with you what I say in my doctrinal statement. It's been so long. Did I put it on these notes? Did I say it there? No? I'll read it to you instead. Um, bibliology, this is in my doctrinal statement, the doctrine of the Bible. I say, I believe that God has given his complete written word in the 66 books of the Bible. 39 in the Old Testament, and 27 in the New Testament. I also say that Scripture was given to mankind through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the God-selected human authors. We see in 2 Peter 1.21, for example, um, it talks about nothing was done in the human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God. Those are some Scriptures there. Um, third thing I say about bibliology is that the scriptures take on the personal style and vocabularies of the human authors. However, however it's completely God-breathed and inspired. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1, talked about God spoke to the prophets in many ways. Acts 3.21, God spoke about Christ through the prophets. Um, Matthew 5.18, not one jot or tittle will pass away. And John 10.35, talks about scripture cannot be broken. I also say that the inspiration of scripture was verbal and plenary. Again, Matthew 5, 18, not one jot or tittle or one letter or a stroke 
will pass away. And we'll talk about this whole issue of verbal plenary inspiration because there was a time when it was just said verbal and and um, we had to talk about verbal plenary as well. Then I also say that the scriptures as it stands is the only communication from God for the believer's faith and conduct. And that the scripture was complete with the writing of the book of Revelation. Um, in Revelation 22, 18 to 19, we looked at that a couple weeks ago in Sunday school where it says that um, don't add or take anything away from this book. And, and we know that it applies to the whole, whole word. Um, and again, that there's no new revelation, that um, nothing new is added to Scripture. It's complete in how it's given. And then I also say that I believe that the Bible should be interpreted literally using historical, grammatical, and theological methods. We'll talk about that also as we go along through the study as well. And then that Scripture cannot be interpreted without its meanings being revealed by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 16, in that whole passage, talks about it's a spirit that searches the mind of God and knows the mind of God and reveals um, God's mind to us and reveals the understanding of Scripture. And then lastly, in Bibliology, I say that I believe that Scripture is dis dispensational. God's revelation has been progressive in nature. Um, again, Hebrews 1, 1, how God spoke to the prophets in portions or pieces in many different ways. John 1, 17 talks about the law was given through Moses and grace and truth through Christ. And so some of this stuff may or may not make sense now, um, but as we get to the end of the study, we should be able to look at all of this and, um, and know what everything means um, and have a good sense of it. Now, as we go through this study, we're going to try and answer several questions. If you look at your outline there, um, the first thing there is a bibliology outline. And, and some of the, the, the questions that we'll try and answer here is, the first one there, is the Bible truly God's word? Is the Bible truly God's word? Can any other book out there make that claim to be God's word? And so in other words, how can we say that the Bible is the only book that God inspired, especially as we start talking about inspiration? How can we make that claim? How can we not say that the Koran um, is inspired by God? How can we be so dogmatic about the Bible? Second, what is meant by inspiration of the scriptures? We'll spend several weeks on inspiration of the scriptures. Um, and we'll see that the word inspiration is an important theological term. And a lot of people use that term loosely. And um, they may say that they believe in inspiration, but they have different views on it. And then we'll, so we'll look at some of those different views of inspiration that's out there. Um, thirdly, does the Bible have any errors, contradictions, or discrepancies? You know, so we'll look at um, here the passages that people have used to say that the Bible is not true. There are certain passages in, in the Bible that people said there's discrepancies here. The, that means then the whole Bible is discredited. So we'll look at some of those passages as we go along, um, and we will we'll, we'll have the explanation of why they are that way. And um, we'll look at how to deal with those texts and, and what explanations can we give for, for, for what is a seeming error. We'll also look at what is canonicity. Number four there, we'll look at um, why we have just 66 books in our Bible. How was it determined that it was these particular books? You know, then we'll look at these other books that have been making a stir a lot lately. 
you know, the, the um, gospel according to Judas, for example, or the gospel of Mary, you know, why aren't these things in scripture? Why aren't they included in the canon, if you will? And then fifthly, is there any proof for the inerrancy and inspiration of the scripture? You know, we'll look at, um, I think we have uh, nine or ten proofs in there that we'll look at for, for that. You know, God has given many evidences, and, and those are important to know. And then sixthly, how do we know the difference between um, terms such as revelation, inspiration, illumination, and interpretation? Those are some theological terms that are thrown out there. What do they all mean? You know, these are some key terms as, as well as some others that we'll look at as well. We need to know what those means. And then what is the difference between a dynamic equivalent, a fluid equivalent, and a paraphrased version of the Bible? We'll get to that more so in February or March. That's when we'll get to that topic. And we'll look at... Um, at that and, and, and see what they all mean. I think everybody sitting here tonight uh, may have a Bible that falls into one of those categories. All right. And then eighth, you know, are there some translations better or more inspired than others? You know, there are some people that will say, for example, that if the King James was good enough for Apostle Paul, it was good enough for me. And, um, you know, or you'll visit certain churches and on their websites and you'll see the, you know, stamped on there 1611, you know, and so you know where they stand on, on Bible versions um, as, as the 1611 version of the King James is the only authorized version. How many people have ever read, tried to read the 1611 version of the King James Bible? You can't do it? Anybody can do it easily? It's hard. You know, it's hard in terms of that. 1611 because of the old English. So we'll look at how we deal with that issue when it comes up as well, as well as we'll look at how to deal with newer translations as well. And then ninth, you know, are there some translations more honoring to Christ or more easily memorized? You know, some will say certain translations are easier to memorize, and that may or may not be true. We'll look at that issue also. And then 10th, we'll look at what is meant by textual criticism. That will come up more earlier than, than we think. Um, but we'll look at the relevancy it has on the translations today. Every, you know, every team of scholars that were involved in translating scriptures, except for some of the weird ones that are out there, um, they were involved in textual criticism. And we'll look at that and, and how, you know, I think I said a couple weeks ago that the issue is not that we have 90% of the Bible um, from the originals, that we have 104% or 102%. And the textual um, criticism, the people who do that, they need to decide and figure out through textual criticism what's the 100%. And so there's, there's a lot that goes on with that as well. 11, what is meant by gender-neutral or gender-sensitive translations of the Bible? You know, perhaps you've heard of the TNIV came out uh, three or four years ago. Um, it stands for Today's New Inter International Version. And it has literally altered the meaning of Scripture to make it gender sensitive, if you read that. Or in some cases, gender neutral. So we'll look at that translation because it's, it's picking up steam. And some people say it could someday take the place of the NIV as it's picking up steam. So that's an outline, and there's more that we'll go into. So it gives you a, a general idea of what the year will be like and the, the types of things that we'll, we'll cover. But tonight I want us to do a test first. So there's some pens in your, in your thing. Um, and we'll go through this together um, to keep it um, fun and interactive. And it's a fun way to get us 
thinking and and it will give us a gauge of of what we know or don't know at this point and so grab a pen and and jump in this is uh you know either a true or false or a multiple guess type of situation um so question 1 everybody have one the new or the neo orthodox view of the bible says that the scriptures a are the literal word of god b contain the word of god are c are not in the word of god d are not the only books that are the word of God, have nothing to do with God. So just circle the answer and we'll keep moving and come back to it. All right? Number two, the term inerrancy refers mainly to A, the character of God, B, figures of speech used in the Bible, C, the accuracy of the Bible, or D, the history of the Bible, or E, none of the above. Inerrancy. All right? Number three there, the term canon literally means A, a collection, B, a measuring rod, C, a group, D, a council, or E, a large weapon? B is the answer. Number four, the number of Greek New Testament manuscripts that exist today are 100, 500, 3,000, 5,000, or E, too numerous to count. Make your best guess there. Number five there, in the Roman Catholic Bible, the book of Daniel contains how many chapters? 12, 13, 14, or none of the above here? Six, how many total books in the Roman Catholic Bible? 73, 75, 78, or are they still adding books? Seven, how many total books in the Greek Orthodox Bible? 66, 78, 80, or I don't know. Number eight there, who said the following quote about extra books of the Bible? See the quote there, the church reads for example of life and instruction of manners, but not to establish any doctrine. This is a quote about the extra books of the Bible. And this person said, or this this group said, the church reads them, for example, of life and instruction, of manners, but not to establish any doctrine. Was it the Anabaptists? Was it the Presbyterians, the Church of England, or the Methodists? Number nine, the Greek translation of the Old Testament is known as, A, a faulty translation, B, the Apocrypha, C, the Septuagint, D, the LXX, or E, both C and D. Hmm. The term Apocrypha, number 10, refers to A, the book of Revelation, a collection of books written before 200 years before Christ, the coming of Antichrist, D, things that are hidden, or both B and D. Number 11, special revelation is defined as God making himself known through A, Christophanies, B, Theophanies, C, dreams and visions, D, angels, E, Christ and the Bible, or F, all of the above. Number 12, the work of the Spirit in helping us to understand Scripture is referred to as A, revelation, B, illumination, C, inspiration, D, animation, 
or E, indoctrination. Animation will come up later, by the way, so don't laugh at it yet. 13, the term hermeneutics refers to A, the study of angels, B, the study of Christ, C, the study of interpretation, D, the study of man, or E, none of the above. 14, in the writing of the final product of scripture, one can say that God, A, dictated all his words to the human authors, B, accommodated himself to popular scientific views, C, inspired only the thoughts and concepts, D, inspired every word and pen stroke, or E, none of the above. 15, that there are only 66 books in the Bible. A, was decided during the time of the Reformation. B, has been changed throughout church history. C, was decided at the Council of Nicaea. Or D, was recognized by Christians in all generations. And a couple more. Number 16, the chapter and verse divisions in the Bible are A, identical in every translations, B, inspired by God, C, produced the same number of chapters in every Bible, D, added by man for ease of locating different passages, or E, none of the above. And the last one, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls helped to authenticate A, the inspiration of the Bible, B, the preservation of the Bible, C, the unreliability of the Bible, or D, the Septuagint can't be trusted. Oh, we have one more, 18. I forgot. And then number 18, this test tells me I have a lot to learn about bibliology. True, false, possibly, or all of the above. Well, you, what, number 18? Yeah. yeah, it's so fun. It's a fun test. All right, let's look at the answers. Again, this is just for fun um, as we go through it because these are all things that will come up um, throughout the study. Now, first question. Um, the neo-Orthodox neo view of the Bible says that Scripture is what? You have B? Um, how many people have A, or the literal Word of God? B, contain the Word of God. C, are not the Word of God. Anybody with D? Okay, have nothing to do with God. B, contain the word of God. The neo-Orthodox view says that. And we'll spend a lot of times when we look at those different views of inspiration, we'll look at the neo-Orthodox as one of those views that we'll look at as well. And um, we'll look at these different ones. This is a popular one that's even being embraced in evangelical churches as well nowadays, the neo-Orthodox, that it contain the word of God. The originator was... Um, a man called Karl Barth. You heard of him? Um, so, you know, if you hear anybody quoting Karl Barth, um, you know, for a good reason, run away. Um, because that's not good. Yes, my Barth, B-A-R-T-H. Okay? One of the things that he said was that if you read Scripture and something jumps out to you, then that becomes the Word of God. That's one of the things that he says. And so you can see the danger that's there in that view, um, neo-Orthodox. Number two there, the term inerrancy refers mainly to what? Anybody say A? B? C? All right. 
D, the history of the Bible, or E? All right, C, the accuracy of the Bible. And that may seem like a small point, but it's an important one, you know, because some people believe that there are mistakes in the Bible. And so this will be an important one that we'll spend a lot of time on. You know, you'll say, all right, move on, (laughs) you know, when we get to it. But it's very important. Number three there, the term canon literally means what? A, a collection. B, measuring rod. Anybody B? C, anybody C? D, E, it's uh, B, measuring rod. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's like, uh, it's like the measuring stick I use for the Iwana kids and have in my office, it's like a yardstick, you know, so, you know, how do things measure up? And so that's what canon means. The 66 books are the measuring stick that determines God's will for our lives. Number four, the number of Greek New Testament manuscripts that exist today are, are what? How many said A? This is a guess unless you knew it, right? B? C, D, 5,000, or um, E, too numerous to count. It's actually D, 5,000, 5,000 New Testament manuscripts. And this is important because that's a large number. And there are a lot of people out there who will dismiss Scripture even though that there's so many manuscripts for it. And they they will hold to other old books that there are no known manuscripts or one known manuscript, but they'll dismiss scripture even though there are so many of them. And number five, in the Roman Catholic Bible, the book of Daniel contains how many chapters? 12, 13, 12, anybody? 13, 14? Um, you against 12? Um, it's actually 14. Um, you know, they, and we'll, one, um, other question will come up a little bit later. We'll see more on that. Number six, how many total books in the Roman Catholic Bible? Anybody remember 73, 75, 78? They're still adding books? Did you guess 78? Okay, 73. Um, they would say 73, but if you put 75, you could make a case for it because when you get to um, the end of Daniel, you know, they add the two extra chapters, um, and um, one is called Susanna and the Two Elders and, and then Bell and the Dragon. You'll see that in there too. So you could make a case for 73 or 75. But in some Bibles, they're labeled as two extra books. And, and they, they did that also with the book of Esther. Um, and we'll look at why we don't accept those as scripture. Susanna, Bell and the Dragon, and so forth. Yeah. It's a continuation of Daniel, if you will. So I'll show it to you um, online later, and you could see the um, the continuation. It's quite a fantastic story, if you will. You know, fantastic. Um, and so we'll look at who made the decision and who's right with that. So how many books in the in the Greek Orthodox Bible? Um, 66? 78? 80? I don't know. <laughs> Good. You're honest. 78. There's 78 in the Greek um, Orthodox Bible. And, and um, when we get a little bit later, we'll talk about why that is. You know, they, there's some um, books that are split um, also there. Um, number eight, who said the following quotes about the extra books in the Bible? The church reads them for example of life and instruction of manners, but not to establish any, any doctrine. Um, was it Anabaptist? Anybody say A? The B? C? about D? Methodist? It was, a, it was the Church of England, actually, that said that. Um, and this came up in 1611 when the King James Version was put into print. 
in that first version in 1611, they actually put the Apocrypha in, in that version um, between the Old and New Testaments. Nowadays, when you get a Bible with the Apocrypha in it, it's just mixed all throughout. And so, but back then in 1611, they put it right in between the Old and New Testaments. So on a side note, if somebody claims that they read the 1611 version only, are they including the Apocrypha or not? So people have to be careful, you know, with, with, with stuff like that. But anyway, at the Council of Trent held between 1542 and 1568, the Roman Catholics canonized those books as being inspired, the Apocryphal books. And that will come up later also. And some of their doctrine is built off of these books. For example, you've heard of um, in Maccabees. They have First and Second Maccabees in the Apocrypha. And um, it tells them to pray for the dead. So on every year on what? All Saints Day, um, they still do it, November 21st, all the dead will be prayed for. Um, it's funny, um, somebody asked me uh, to suggest some scripture to them. This person is a Roman Catholic. And so I suggest some scripture for a particular memorial service or something like that. And um, I heard back and they said, you know, thank you, but I chose something from the Book of Wisdom instead. Um, and that's one of the apocryphal books. It's, it's the Book of Wisdom, for example. Um, but, but when they had put the apocrypha in between the Old and New Testaments and the 1611 version of the um, King James, the Catholic says, aha, see, you believe it too. You put it in, the, in your Bible there. So the Church of England said, no, they're not. We don't believe that they're a canon. They're helpful for examples and so forth in history, but they're not inspired. And so they removed them in the 1613 version of the King James Bible. Two years later, they had a revision. They removed the Apocrypha, and we'll talk more about that later. Number nine, the Greek translation of the Old Testament is known as what? Anybody want to know the answer? What's that? E? Who said C? All right, E actually. Um, the, the LXX, um, that's the, that's how it's written out. Um, you know, 70, yeah, in, in, in Greek and then Septuagint. That's another way you'll see the Septuagint is the LXX. Sometimes you're reading your, um, your Bible and you'll see a certain word and out in the margin you'll see LXX and that means it's taken that way from the Septuagint. All right. Number 10, the term apocrypha refers to what? E? Yeah, I think I underlined them by accident, right? Did I? Oh, okay. Um, it's a collection of books written 200 years before Christ and things that are, are hidden. Um, and so that's what Apocrypha refers to. It, it means things that are hidden. And we'll see that there are some things that we could learn from them. For example, in the Apocryphal books of Daniel, it records certain historical facts, um, that kind of fill in the details for us, but it's not inspired, but it, there's some history there. Number 11, special revelation is defined as God making himself known um, through what? Yeah, you're right, F, all of the above, Christophanies, Theophanies, dreams and visions, angels, Christ in the Bible. That's what that verse in Hebrews talked about, that God made himself known through many portions in many ways throughout. And so all of those are included there. Number 12, the work of the Spirit in helping us to understand Scripture is referred to as what? B, illumination. You're right. Um, not animation, illumination. Um, but we'll talk about all of those later too. The term hermeneutics refers to what? See, that sounds like a consensus, the study of interpretation. That's right. And we'll discuss why we believe in a literal, historical, grammatical 
interpretation of the Bible. All of those words put together, all right? Number 14, in the writing of the final product of Scripture, one can say that God what? Did he dictate all his words? Did he accommodate himself to the popular scientific views? Did he inspire only the thoughts and concepts? Or did he inspire every word and pen stroke, right? That's a, a good one to know. And there are a few verses where God dictated what he wanted written. Anybody think of any examples of, of words, verses that God dictated? What's that? Okay, what, what, okay, all right. Anything else? Yeah, yeah. And so there's some easy ones. So, but, but we'll talk about this issue of dictation, right? And, and one of the views of inspiration. Not the worst one out there, but we'll talk about why God didn't dictate um, everything, you know? So that's one of the views out there. Certain pieces are, are, are dictated to the, the Ten Commandments so forth. Um, Fifteen, that there are only 66 books in the Bible was what? Was, was it decided at some point or what, what do we... C was decided at the Council of Nicaea. Anybody else say D? Actually, D recognized by Christians in all generations at different councils and so forth. They would they would recognize what's already there. Um, you know, man doesn't decide what was inspired. God determines that, but we only um, recognize it, if you will. All right. Sixteen. The chapter and verse divisions in the Bible are what? A. B. D. Added by man for ease of locating different passages. You're right. So it's D. Um, the chapter divisions were done first, and then the verse divisions were done after that. And then number seven, 17, um, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls helped to authenticate what? B, the preservation of the Bible. Now, one of the things that we'll talk about, and when we look at the, the definition of inspiration, um, we will, and it won't be this week, but we'll look at it and we'll say that the, the Bible is, is inspired and I'll put on the end of there in its original autographs. And you'll say, wait a second, original autographs, that means on the papyri that it was written on, right? So how can we now come down through thousands of years and say that the Bible is inspired? It's through preservation of scripture. And so that's what that will come about uh, as. And we'll look at how God preserves scriptures throughout. And the, the Dead Sea Scrolls is a, is a good example of that. But we'll spend a lot more time on preservation. And then, so how'd you do um, on the test? Anybody get 100%? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to bibliology, as you can tell. And that's why it's going to take so long to be able to do it justice as we go through. So next, the introduction to bibliology. And we'll spend a few more minutes on this and... And then we'll be done. Um, this should be self-explanatory, but bibliology is the study of the Bible, all right, or the Word of God. You know, we study it because without a proper view on God, Jesus Christ, salvation, and eternity, we become distorted with all kinds of things. So bibliology tells us what the Bible is. And so I put there as the first thing the importance of this study. And one of the things that you'll notice for some weeks, the, the notes might say, you know, I'm, I've divided this into sections. So we're in section one, part one. Next week will be section one, part two. And, and the notes will continue. So I think it'll start with number two at the top of it. So number one is the importance of the study. We'll just continue it. But to keep it by sections, it kind of... Um, uh, organizes it better for me, but you'll see as we go along. So the importance of the study. 
you know, why are we going to spend 30 plus weeks looking at this? You know, well, we have to make sure we know what we believe. And since the Bible claims to be the final authority, which if it's true, then it's our final authority for faith and practice. No wonder Satan wants to thwart our understanding of Scripture. No wonder Scripture is attacked so much nowadays. It's very important, and, and I think that's the reason why, you know, Rick's been looking at Bible doctrines in Sunday school, and that's why he started with Bibliology first, because it's foundational, it's important. And so when, we, when Satan attacks it, he always um, questions the integrity of Scripture. He wants to take as many people to hell with him as he can. And so um, by trying to erode the foundation that the Bible provides, um, he's going he's gonna to try and do that. And so this is a reliable foundation. Yeah. What's that? Oh, they are as well. Wow. Next, uh, yeah, sorry, I heard you saying something about it. You said something for next week. Second Timothy 3.16? Okay, excellent. It's a good... Um, good place to be in this year and so the bible is a reliable foundation and we need to be able to defend it but of all the doctrines of the bible and we're looking at in the adults in the school class a lot of them spent two weeks on bibliology and then today was the 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 doctrine of god or paterology as some people will call it um but of all the doctrines of the bible none is more important or foundational than bibliology And the reason for this is simple, that the Bible's witness to itself is that it is the word of God. And thus, it's our final authority for faith, belief, and practice. And so it gives us our understanding of God, of man, and of salvation that he offers to mankind. So God willing, as we go through this, God will bring opportunities for us to to share our faith um, with people as we go along. So are there any comments, questions, or concerns? from tonight so far. John. Question. Uh, since each season, um, the chapter of verse divisions in the Bible are um, produced the same number of chapters in every Bible. Um, we didn't select that as the correct answer, but do different versions of the Bible have a different number of chapters? Yeah, and we'll look at that. For example, the Greek Orthodox Bible, for example, um, you know, there, there are, you know, there, there are certain... Um, chapters that in their bible that might have less verses than ours but for example in the psalms you know you might go to the psalm and and what might be verse 54 in our bible is verse one of the next chapter in theirs they just they just move the uh, the chapter headings up a little bit and so it's there so you know sometimes when you when you go certain places or even or even go into a you know um like the ukraine for example and and even working with believers it's just sometimes how it's translated into their language, the verse numbers and chapter might be off a little bit. So you kind of have to do your homework a little bit to make sure you're not saying turn to John chapter 2 verse 25 and you're reading this verse and they're looking, where is that? And it's, it's just a verse down or a verse up for them. So, so yeah, that, that's there. Do most modern day translations have similar verses and... It, it varies, and when we look at the when we look at the so-called mistakes, we'll see some of the, the things that that get talked about. For example, um, in Mark, you know, um, there there's certain verses that um, in the NIV, for example, is just not there. Um, and then at the bottom of the page, they say 
um, not found in the original transcript. So it'll go from verse 25, and then next verse you see is verse 29. Um, in some of the other translations, like the NASB, the King James, for example, they'll put those in brackets. They'll, they'll still list them. They'll put them in italics and in brackets, and then in the margin they'll put that it wasn't found in the original, but they'll keep it in there for the flow. So it, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's some of those um, uh, issues. But even the NIV, they didn't change the number. You know, they just, you just notice that there's a skip there. Um, and so people will, will look at some of these things and say, that's a contradiction. You know, what kind of Bible do you all believe in? And that will cause some problems. And so we'll look at some of that in terms of when we look at um, preservation and when we look at textual criticism, People who are textual criticists are some amazing people who are dedicated because they they sit there, they dedicate years to, to looking at manuscripts. And so what they have to decide is when they're looking at um, scrolls, is, is it personal notes or is it the original stuff? So back in the days before we people had their own copies of the Bible, somebody might have a scroll of the book of John. And somebody else might say, you know, might not have it, and they want to copy it, right? So they'll borrow it from you. But they were similar to we are today, at least, at least I am. I write in my Bible all the time. And so we have the printed text, and so people can see the difference between the printed text and your own handwriting, right? So it's easy now. Back then, that person who had the book of John, he copied it from somebody else. And it's in his handwriting as he's writing it in Greek. And so as he's studying it, he's making notes on, on the paper. Remember, with papyrus, and paper was, was very in short supply. So they didn't have these huge margins like we have in our Bibles nowadays. Everything, you ran from end to end, you know, and, and, um, and so they might take notes. You know, the Holy Spirit might speak to them, and they might have, you know, this really speaks to me, and they might add something to it. And then so this guy who borrows his book of John, he goes and he copies the whole thing down with his friend's notes also. And so people who do textual criticism, they have to look at that and they have to say, all right, is this, was this there or was this just this guy's notes? And so that's why having a lot of manuscripts um, and even the Dead Sea Scrolls, we'll look at that too, was a huge help because, you know, it, 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 they got so much you know, for example, Isaiah, they got almost a full um, uh, copy of the book of Isaiah, for example. And so they're able, and, and, and it dated back um, to the 10th century, I believe. And so it's, it's very old. And so they could look at manuscripts that they had that was like 30 a AD um, and look back at the 10th century and see that should even be more accurate. And so it's a lot of work to get in, involved with that. So... Um, Long answer um, to that, but that's um, yeah, the case. Probably by a scribe who was copying it over and just overwhelmed with the glory of God brought down Yeah, because when you go into the Luke version of it, it's not there. But in the Matthew version, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And then the NASB, for example, I know, puts brackets around that just to show that, you know, it's not there. But, you know what, does it, um, does it violate scripture in any way? No. You know, and that's what we'll look at with all these examples, that it doesn't. Yeah. Other questions or comments, thoughts?
All right, we'll, we'll, we'll chip away at these um, each week and, um, you know, not try and get into too much information each week and try and get ourselves in trouble, but we'll chip away and um, then we'll go from there. Next week we'll have, um, what's that? Yep, hold on to those. Um, next week we'll have um, binders um, with the next nine weeks of notes in it, so you could put those in the front of the binder. So hold on to those um, for now, and we'll have those ready for next week. All right? Um, all right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Bible, the only book that you've ever inspired. Help us to understand it, search it, know it, because... It's there for how you want us to live our lives and what you want us to know about you. So we just thank you for giving that to us and giving us the revelation of yourself through your word and through Jesus Christ. Give us a chance to be a light this week to somebody we come in contact with. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Wow. I just love uh, studying the word of God. Uh, We hope you were blessed in that session. Um, Really? As a Christian, there's no further place where we really need to inspect and uh, look at our faith. Our faith is a reasonable faith. Uh, It's not a blind faith. Um, We have so much to look at here. This is a great study. Uh, Just keep popping back in. We'll keep adding to this library uh, as the studies become available. Um, we'll be uploading quite a few here as we continue to build our uh, theological library. Um, it's not just enough to study uh, prophecy and be uh, out of balance in any one particular uh, area of our uh, walk and in the Christian faith. And that's how we have a lot of uh, cults and isms out there where we have uh, people who are not really balanced in their approach to the scriptures. So uh, that's why I appreciate uh, Pastor Campbell and his approach um, that we need to understand our Bible. And, um, you know, God's given it for us for an instruction manual. I think when every person is born, they should put one of these in their hands, uh, the parents, uh, as an, a manual for the book of life. Uh, we hope you are blessed in this study. Uh, keep checking back with us. God bless you.